your need-to-know cultural snapshot of Wisconsin and beyond. This is What's on Tap with Sandy Max. A deep dive into all things intriguing, riveting, and entertaining. Now, here's your host, Sandy Max. Earlier this week on What's on Tap, I announced the premiere of the new Milwaukee PBS documentary, Remembering the Great Circus Parade. I'm honored to host the one-hour special because it truly encapsulates a very Wisconsin tradition that generations of people enjoyed over decades. The documentary is produced by Milwaukee PBS staffers Dale Palachek and Joe Sankey. And Joe joined me live in the WTMJ studio for an episode of What's on Tap to discuss the project and elaborate on some of the documentary footage. Well, the event really meant a lot to people over the years. Some WTMJ fans called in during the show and texted in their memories and their experiences with the parade. One of my Good Karma Brands teammates, Jared Yuhan, pulled me aside the next day in the office to tell me how involved his family had been in the parade and how proud he still is of his grandfather's part as the head of communications for the parade. You can hear that conversation in a companion What's on Tap podcast, including how Ernest Borgnine inspired Jared's brothers to become clowns as kids. There are just too many stories to share in one hour of a radio show and, heck, even one hour of a documentary. So right now, with his stack of sheets of handwritten stenopad notes, co-producer Joe Sankey returns to tell more stories. Well, first, thank you for having me back. You are absolutely correct. As someone who watched 16 parades and took copious notes about what was happening in each of them and then would go running to my co-producer, Dale Dale Palachek, and saying, we got to use this, we got to use this, we got to use this, and then half of what you want to use doesn't get used because there's just no time. This is a great way to talk about more stories of what was known as Wisconsin National Treasure. And that brings up a really good point. What is... The process, before we get to all the cool stories, but what is the process of creating this kind of documentary? Do you sketch out the topics first and look for the footage, or do you watch 16 parades and find the storylines there? Today is Leap Day, February 29th, and this process started back in December. And Dale buttered me up because I had done our 65th anniversary exhibit at MATC, and The more I dug, the more nuggets that I found, like the business plan from 1951, letters from Joseph McCarthy, uh, who did not want Channel 10 to exist. And this was stuff that we never knew about. And so just through going through the vault. Yeah, just going through through the the vault and stuff that hadn't been touched in decades. And Dale came to me and he says, you did such a good job with that. He says, we have this. We want to do a documentary about the Great Circus Parade. And he says, you seem like the perfect guy to watch all of the parades and find the interesting bits. Now, you're the perfect guy for it, not just because your level of curiosity, your creativity, the decades you've spent working at Milwaukee PBS and being part of the Milwaukee community, but also you're a set designer. Oh, yeah. You're a creative person, so you are going to have a particular attraction and appreciation for something like every wagon that was its own masterpiece. Oh, the wagons, the costumes. Um, I mean, yeah, these these are my people. These are the craftsmen. <laughs> these are the people who work totally behind the scenes and people think it just magically happens. To refer to your earlier question, yes, we did start out with 
a kind of how we wanted to format the show. And we knew there were specific topics we wanted to cut co- to cover. The circus train, wagon restoration, costumes, the 40 horse hitch, horses in general, celebrities. And we kept revising and revising that. And then finally, in the first week of January, the parades, some of which needed almost digital restoration because they were so old from video from the 70s and video from the 60s, I started to watch them. And the piles of notes just grew and grew. And I would highlight anything that I thought we could, could use with the show. And then I would go to Dale and then we'd start whittling down the list. And then he would fight for things, I would fight for things, we would come to some sort of an agreement. But there was still a lot of stuff that never made it in, and it was interesting stuff. This show could have been twice as long as the one-hour show. Easily, easily. I don't want these stories to just disappear because they are part of what was Milwaukee's Great Circus Parade. Hopefully we touch on some of those in this conversation. And what a phenomenon for 37 parades, 30 of them here in Milwaukee, one of the statistics, 800,000 people would attend and line the streets of Milwaukee to watch this pretty much a four-hour-long parade when you've got so many dozens of wagons, different bands, different performers. This is a big, big, big annual summertime deal here in Milwaukee. Yes, and there's parts of the parade that never even made it into the programs because they weren't the official circus part. We had a vintage car parade that would lead off the parade where, you know, 40, 50 vintage automobiles and I and with and with local politicos and state politicos riding in them. Well, um, sure, I just and, said 800,000 people are there. So, you know, you know politicians want to be seen. <laughs> These exactly. are their constituents. And, and people love, you know, people just love that. And then we had the guys on the high-wheeled bicycles from the 19th century and some carriages and antique fire engines and stuff and just all the stuff that you know, little kids of all ages just love to watch, you know, watch because the sirens are going and the bells and things like that. And then we finally get to the parade and we always say, now from now on, there are no, not, everything is pulled by horses. There are no motorized things in there anymore. Because we're going back to we're what going it was back. Like we're going in 1903 back. to we're have the going parade. Back to the turn of the 20th century. Although one of the things that in that time period automobiles were such a novelty that maybe a circus owner would buy a car and put it in the parade just for the novelty of spectators seeing it. And put a bunch of clowns in it, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and put a bunch of clowns in it or put himself in it. He and his wife or the five Ringling brothers, you know, riding in the car, waving to the crowd. So it's not that automobiles were excluded, but they were a novelty as they aren't now. And what were the some of the other horse configurations if you because it wasn't just pulling wagons? We all think of the most famous one we associate with the parade is the 40 horse hitch. Um, but so impressive. We had various equestrian units with female riders, beautifully costumed by the circus world, costume designers. But a lot of times things <laughs> we had in one parade, a 20 llama hitch. No. <laughs> yeah. A 20 llama hitch. And llamas are not known for being the most... <laughs> 
amiable co- co- creatures. Co- cooperative yeah. animals on the face of the earth. Um, but they also had things that were different kind of hitches. There was a thing called the unicorn hitch, which you would have one horse in the front and then maybe two horses paired behind him. So you'd add a three horse total. Or you might do it with five, with one and then two and then two. Or you would have tandem where the horses were all in a line and you have to control them that way. There, There is in one parade something that was called the Courier of St. Petersburg, where it was nine horses in line. And on the last horse, the guy is standing up on the horse guiding the team. Wow. Um, and Which I, goes to your acrobatics. I mean, that yeah. makes sense to show that prowess. But when you think about the length of that parade, it's a long time to be standing up on the back of two horses and controlling the right. whole team. Yeah. And we had we had hitches made out of llamas. We had hitches made out of alpacas, camels, and of course, all manner of horses. From anywhere from the magnificent Clydesdales to carriage horses to ponies to smaller ponies. And then finally we get down to the miniature horses, which are about the size of German shepherds. Now, granted, they're pulling the smaller wagons. We don't expect them to pull a bandwagon. Um, and, you know, and they were scaled down. And they were incredibly cute. And people used to just love them. The parade was more than the 40 horse hitch. And I'll say right now. There was no reason for the 40-horse hitch to exist except as a spectacle to have in your parade because there was no reason that four strong horses could not pull any of these wagons. Anything more than that is just for show. And so you can go to eight horses, six horses, eight horses, ten horses, uh, 20, and then finally the 40. And thank God for the Sparrow family to have all the patients and all the people in their community to help them out to make that happen. Yeah, all those volunteers. And that's one of the points of the documentary, Remembering the Great Circus Parade on Milwaukee PBS. That was really fascinating. You have an entire section devoted to the 40 Horse Hitch because it is all these levels of community coming together to help train and groom and shoe all the horses and maintain the wagons. And it really is a pride point for that whole community to be part of it. And involving everybody from veterinarians to optometrists and doctors, it really brought people from all walks of life to support the 40 horse hitch and the pride of this great circus parade. It was. And and of course, Joyce Sparrow, Dick's wife, and, and the daughters had to feed all these people. And the thing that I just amused me so much is in this, the piece about the Sparrow family, Joy is giving us a lot of information and talking while she's sitting on her front steps snapping beans into a bowl for the, ne- for the next meal. She's preparing vegetables because she's a farm wife. She's got things to do. I say, you're not going to stop her. She's on task. She's, yeah, exactly. She's got to get some people and horses fed. She's going to keep moving. You talk about all the animals. And one thing that also is part of this documentary that is just fascinating and very artistic to me is the costuming. And one of the most sweet moments of the documentary to me i believe her name was peggy coburn Mm -hmm. and she was a costumer for the great circus parade and for the humans and the level of detail but then she talks about costuming the elephants Mm -hmm. and these beautiful embroidered headpieces and she talks about how she drew designs for each of the different elephants because they all had their own individual personalities i love that piece and I have to admit, that's the one piece I, I really fought to keep in. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I really it was worth fought it. because as a designer, she was talking for my heart. 
about what you have to do in designing a project. She just got so thoughtful there that she's talking about they're so smart and each one is an individual. I mean, you could visualize her just being so gentle with them while she's taking measurements and things like that. That's another part of the parade. Yes, they're there. We don't think about, you know, blankets for the horses and things. No, highly decorated blankets for the horses made out of velvet and sequins. The headdresses on the horses, the headdresses on camels, the headdresses on the elephants, is because sometimes they had little feathery things coming out the top. Sometimes they didn't. They were constantly refreshing and doing things to make the parade just a little bit different each year so that you didn't get tired of it because you never were quite sure about what you were going to see this year. Snazzy and a spectacle and uh, the other things we talk about the costuming, but the wagons really are masterpieces. And what's the oldest known wagon that ever got pulled through the Great Circus Parade? The oldest one that We have some degree of documentation, like nobody has a sales receipt or anything to prove this, but what we have from records dates to about 1859. And that was the Bostock and Whamwell, which was an English circus. It was their bandwagon. And it's unusual compared to the American bandwagons, which tend to be these big boxy structures, which also were used to carry freight. I mean, you could imagine a highly decorated moving van. Um, and the band would be put on top. The Bostock and Whamwell was more like a big, a big formal carriage with, you know, a few rows of seats in it. And unusual for it, if you watch the Great Circus Parade, you will see that, ironically, for as large as some of these wagons are, the wheels are comparatively small. And they're all the same size. Bostock and Whamwell, the back wheels are six feet in diameter. Wow! It's the only carriage that they have <laughs> like that that has these enormous wheels. But that's the oldest one that we can document. There might still be somewhere out there in the world something that's older because the circus in the United States started in 1793. But we haven't found, they haven't found it yet. One of the things that I really liked about the documentary was the spotlight on a man named Ephraim Williams. First, before I talk about Ephraim Williams, I have to talk about the woman who discovered Ephraim Williams. There was a woman who worked for the city of Milwaukee called Cecilia Gilbert, who watched the parade for many years, and she was concerned about the lack of diversity in the parade. And she went to Ben Barkin and said, there must be some history of black Americans in circuses. She says there were certainly minstrel shows and all kind of other public performances. And she says, and he says, well, he says, you find it and we will put it in the parade. And so she researched and she researched and she found this man named Ephraim Williams who was in Milwaukee. He had a boot blacking establishment or what we might not call today a shoeshine parlor. Mm-hmm. To stimulate business, he learned how to do magic tricks and things. And he would stand out on the sidewalk and kind of, you know, as a huckster, getting people to come in. Like yeah, showmanship. You you know, your... I'll juggle, I'll do card tricks and you get a shine all at the same time. And he got a horse. He taught the horse to answer arithmetic tricks. I don't know how. I have heard that 
whatever the correct answer was, he had a way of saying it, and then the horse would respond. I don't or know. Hand signals, yeah, or something, some or something way. like yeah. that. Where then I, I'm the assuming, it, I'm assuming the horse is stamping its foot or something. You know, what's two plus two? What's you know, yeah. three plus three type of thing. And then he graduated from that to becoming a small circus owner. And over the course of his lifetime, owned a couple of small circuses. So he was introduced into the parade. And then... And how uh, lovely that Ben Barkin said to Cecilia Gilbert, I hear you, make it happen. Yeah. And so he appeared in the parade and then, uh, or, or an actor portray him rather, we would also have groups of black clowns riding on the wagons. We've had a black marching band over the years. Diversity as the parade progressed became more of an or more and more of an issue that Asian groups would be inserted. I mean, we had a Chinese dragon one year on the parade. That uh, makes it in the documentary. We had Chinese, Korean uh, women dancing with the ribbons and things like that that you see sometimes in performances. So there was an increased awareness that we needed to celebrate a lot of different cultures within such an American institution. I recall Fred Fenning announcing, I think in the 2009 parade, the last parade, as part of the documentary, it was the Wild West section, but one of the wagons had... America on one side and then particularly like the Far East on the other side because a merging of two different circuses for this one wagon so they could combine and Mm -hmm. continue to perform. So it was interesting to hear that there was an awareness of representation. Well, in some ways there always was. Uh, Thank you for bringing up the Wild West section because one of the things I could never figure out, and it was actually a historic recreation, and I kind of like shook my head saying, okay, I guess, um, (laughs) was... In, I can't remember which circus it was, uh, but in the middle of their Wild West section was the Russian Cossack Band. Now, there's an odd combination. <laughs> the Russian Cossack Band in the middle of the Wild West section. And Circus World Museum costumed the whole band as Russian Cossacks with the furry hats and the black boots and the pantaloons and the the tunics and things like that. And yet it sounds odd, but they said this is something that actually was a unit in the parade at turn of the century. And all I could think of is... Just how the circus brought exotic animals and somewhat of a spectacle to small towns. At the turn of the 20th century, America was starting to become more internationally aware. We were turning into an international power. And maybe this was a way of exploring that, of putting some of these international elements into them. But still... Classic band, middle of Wild West, I have to wonder. <laughs> yet, yet historically accurate, which is part of the entire continuance of the Great Circus Parade and the return of it for the one year in 2009 was the meticulous detail to preserving wagons and so many details of the parade. The parade was a labor of love for both the late Chappie Fox and the late Ben Barkin. And to their dying days. Oh, yes. Both of them watched their last parade from hospitals. Really? Yeah. Yes. They put so much of themselves into the parade from the 60s all the way through to making sure that 2009 parade happened, rallying businesses and the community and 
the Circus World Museum and all of the volunteers. I mean, that unfortunately, they never lived to see the 2009 parade. Really? No, they they died early in the 2000s. It was the Circus World Museum who tried to raise the funding over the court because it was it was gone for six years uh, to try and raise the funding to bring it back for one last time. And the funding kind of came very late in the game, which is why the 40 horse hitch was not in the final parade, because uh, the Sparrow family who now Paul Sparrow, Dick's son, is in charge, was in charge of driving the parade. He was always his dad's second in command, but he's now driving. He said the time frame was too short. He says we haven't done it for so long. He says it, you can't just make it happen. He says it's at least a two-year process to choose the horses and get them trained. And so that's why the 40 horse was not in the last parade, unfortunately, because it was just the time element was too short. And that makes sense. That's covered in the Remembering the Great Circus Parade documentary of just even getting the right kind of horse that does well in a 40-horse hitch is completely opposite of the kind of horse personality that you look for in a show horse. So I remember Dick Sparrow saying, now I'm looking for a horse that is calm and cooperative. And normally you're looking for a spirited like, hey, look at me showy horse for a show horse so it was the complete opposite end of the spectrum for a horseman so two years to put together a 40 horse hitch and actually have them trained to behave well among hundreds of thousands of people on the streets of a city when they're used to living out on a farm i think that makes all the sense in the world a two-year uh, time time frame for that that's why you always see the outriders with any of the wagon units that are on horseback riding next to them because they're there to make sure the horses remain calm. Because even horses which might go to state fairs for competitions or might even be in other parades, suddenly they're on a big city street with all of these people and all of these distractions and it's asphalt and cement and bridges. Oh, do horses hate bridges. Really? Yeah. Uh, especially the bridges like we have in Milwaukee. Because if you look at our bridges in downtown Milwaukee that cross the Milwaukee River, it's grating. It's a heavy metal grating so that snow and ice and rain and things can just fall into the river underneath. It doesn't build up on top. Horses have a problem. They don't like to suddenly see that the ground is not there. <laughs> and they're looking down at water because into their mind, they're going to plummet into that. You know, you're driving them off a cliff type of thing. I see that logic. So they would have to lay down rubber mats over the bridges to have a solid surface that the horses could then walk across and, you know, not have to worry that, you know, we were, we were doing something awful to them. There was a lot of distractions for these horses. And that's why you have gaps in the parade sometimes. Horses don't want to move. They smell a tiger. They smell a lion. You have to remember, animals live in a whole different level than we do. That their smell is as important as our vision. And... These horses would balk. They're not going up. Something up there is going to eat me. Sure. That makes, that's, that makes a lot of sense. I'm not just being contrary. I'm not just choosing not to drink the water that you've led me to. Like, yeah, the wind shifted and I and, smell and predators. Yes. 
And that's why you had to have gaps in the parade, because you had to have gaps between the wild animals and the horses. You had had to have gaps between the bands and the horses, because the horses... They're not used to what a marching band is. I thought you were going to say there's a gap between the horses and the marching band because of cleanup, which leads to a game that you uh, <laughs> that you know about that also did not make it in the Remembering the Great Circus Parade documentary. Poop Bingo does not make it in the documentary. That was something that when I started working on the parade <laughs> had to be explained to me because Explain I... it to everyone now. <laughs> well... Anyone who came to the Great Circus Parade, I am sure, has played this. This is a Milwaukee thing right up there with fish fries and frozen custard. (laughs) That you put your lawn chairs in place three days ahead of time, and now you're there, and you run out into the street before the official parade starts, and you draw circles on the sidewalk, and you put your initials in them. (laughs) And you can draw multiple circles. It looks bizarre, you know, until someone explains it to you, that as the horses come along and, let us say, relieve relieve themselves. Leave a a memento. Leave a memento. I imagine that there are various rules in place, like, you know, the first person who gets hit, for lack of better words, gets a prize, or the person who has the most circles that get hit, or something like that. It's rather a charming way of dealing with nature. Yeah, a not-so-charming deposit, yeah. You know, because... I will tell you that, you know, as the parade moves along, it gets really odoriferous out there <laughs> if you're right down on the street, especially if it's a hot day. <laughs> and it usually was. <laughs> Summertime in Milwaukee. So I will be interested to find out maybe family rules for poop bingo that might have existed throughout the years. I have to think there are certain uh, personalizations to the game. And like you said, whoever gets the most circles or first circle, who has to buy somebody else a Coke, you know. It was explained to me just so that I had kind of an idea what's going on. I never played it. I was too busy. I was working for a television station. (laughs) So, Joe, you have witnessed so many great circus parades because Milwaukee PBS broadcasted them for so many years with the beloved Captain Kangaroo, Bob Keeshan, as a host who I'm just still so charmed by and I love seeing in the documentary. And as I got to host the documentary and film parts of it in the Milwaukee PBS studio, I loved the set decoration. And you told me, oh, I'm glad you did. Thank you. I created it. What, back in 1980? Yes. What was the what were those set decorations originally used for? The Great Circus Parade. They had a life of one day a year. I started at the station in 87. And 87 and 88, we were in a different location. In 1989, we moved our location to um, Prospect and Mason by the Cudahy Apartments and then looking across the Lincoln Memorial Bridge to the War Memorial. To the War Memorial, yes. Because we were going, we liked the view of looking across towards the War Memorial. That was a very attractive view to see that. And by now, you know, we were international broadcasting on this parade. So we're really trying to show off Milwaukee 
Um, and you can see the lake and you can see the little white sailboats out on the lake and all of that. You know, I built circus props. I built a barker stand. I built the elephant drum that the elephants would stand on. Um, I built a circus wagon. I had some flats that were painted with reproductions of old circus posters that I found in research. With dancing ladies? I mean, it, I mean you, you really are an artist because you painted this and you're creating a scene and a setting. Simply because I'm an incredibly frugal person, the stuff just went into our prop shop, in prop storage, excuse me, and really just sat around collecting dust until we did this program. And then I dragged it all out again and and did touch-ups on it. It sets the perfect tone. And truly, as soon as I walked on the set, I was filled with delight. I don't know what I expected. I feel like I'm part of the documentary because my hosting parts are so thoughtful and colorful and creative and in theme with the Great Circus Parade. So you really created an environment for this documentary. Even since you have been there, I have found a couple of other things. One of the things I found that I knew I had somewhere and I, I wanted to find it for the day that you were there to have it as part of the set. And I finally just found it this week. I have a wonderful, big color photograph of Ernest Borgnine holding a child in his clown costume that it was just one of the kids in the crowd that he picked her up and he's talking to her. And one of the staff photographers, you know, got just this great shot of him and he's all smiles. You can tell, as you could tell every year with Ernie, he's having the time of his life. And what a fun chapter for an established actor, because the story is told in the documentary that basically Johnny Carson said to him on The Tonight Show, well, what else would you want to do? Oh, tell you what, never been a clown. Okay. And becomes a clown all the way in, leans all the way into it so much that he's the official grand clown of the Great Circus Parade. That's the clowniest clown you can be, really. Yeah, and and he was warned by Johnny Carson. He says, well, if you've never been a clown, you're going to get letters, and you're going to get telephone (laughs) calls. Well, one of those contacts was from Ben Barkin saying, hey, we've got this really great parade in Milwaukee. Do you want to be a part of it? And so Ernie and his wife, the lovely Tova, would come every year, and Ernie had his costume that he rented each year for it until the company finally went out of business and they just gave it to him. And Circus World Museum would create a new costume every year for Tova. Sometimes she was a lady ringmaster. Sometimes she was a showgirl. Sometimes, you know, sort of Always like an, glamorous. Always glamorous. And they would walk the parade. The, they, they would walk the two and a half miles or so because they loved shaking hands with the people and giving the kids hugs and just interacting with the crowd. And they both did that for years. There was one year that Ernie was making a film and he couldn't be here. Tova came on her own and, did, and, and walked the parade. If um, only she'd had that huge photo 
of Ernie with a child. She could have walked <laughs> with that. Um, and and Ernie kept it up for years until finally, by the time we got to 2009, he was like, I'm 93. I'm not walking this anymore. Get me a golf cart, you know, and there. I'll ride the parade. Yeah, yeah, I was there. That was I was lucky enough to be part of the national broadcast. I was the one of the curbside reporters for that event. And I remember not only was it a golf cart for Ernest Borg, nine it was of like a mercedes golf cart it was a ritzy one so we took good care of of ernie borgnine for that great circus parade but i also remember herb cole was in a carriage for the oh, parade. our various milwaukee mayors over the years state senators national senators our governors would come for this you're correct in saying yes with eight hundred thousand people on the street yeah you know yeah you can you they see you in the parade they might vote for you the next time <laughs> next time around and yeah people would uh, would come uh, to this and and they would they knew that this, this was something special mayor barrett at the time dressed in period costume mm-hmm. because these parades started in 1903 he was had a top hat and mm-hmm. uh, some oh, sort of oh, a suit yeah. with ruffles and i love a theme so I was very happy that he had leaned all the way in. Herb Cole was in a polo shirt. He was there waving, but he was not in a top hat and a 1903 outfit. So it really brings out the fun in people. And I remember interviewing people on the street who came dressed as clowns. Oh, you had some wonderful interviews because you were not just interviewing people from Milwaukee. You were interviewing people from Wisconsin. You were interviewing people from all across the United States who had planned a vacation to come and see this parade. You even had, if memory serves, talking to people from Europe who happened to be here for the parade, from Germany, from Scandinavia. It was one of my favorite jobs ever, and I worked with Terry Peterson at the time, and bless her soul, and she was a great producer. So she and I were roaming around finding those stories of the intergenerational families who had their blankets spread out and sharing stories and sharing those moments. And there's something special about 2009. It was right when Facebook was starting and the only, you know, photos you took on your phone were the flip phones and they were kind of grainy. Like you weren't spending time watching through a screen. You really were Wow, look what just turned the corner. Like, even though it's three and a half, four hours long, people were really involved in this outdoor event. I could see why 800,000 people would come and sit on the street because when it is right in front of you, it's a spectacle. The animals are there, the elephants are there. Yes, you can go to the zoo, but. When was the last time you were going to see, you know, 20 llamas pulling a wagon or the spectacles like the Field of the Cloth of Gold, which had over 60 participants in it, all dressed in medieval costume and on horseback and things. Or the the Princess of Egypt on her camel-drawn wagon and the Prince of Egypt on a camel. And, I mean, just, you know, for a child, it's like, Picture book illustrations. It's full of wonder. It's it, yeah, it's, it's you know, come to life. It, yeah. When I was watching these parades, I used to love the shots we had of the kids because they're just sitting there in gap mouthed wonder. You know, or you feel you can see them pointing and you can, you know, you can't hear it, but you can kind of read. There's a tiger. Oh, my. <laughs> look at the elephants. Oh, camels. Look at the camels. Because 
it, it's different than going to the zoo. You not know. a lot of sequins at the zoo. Not a lot of sequins <laughs> at the zoo. Oh, good God, yes. I mean... What are the stories that didn't make it that you wish could have made it in the hour-long documentary? There were a lot of things that perhaps I found interesting in my notes, which maybe others wouldn't have found, which is why I'm happy to be doing you know, the well, maybe show I today. think that's a much better way to phrase it. What were some of the most interesting nuggets and details that might not have been worth fleshing out for a whole seven or eight minute feature, but that you felt were really interesting aspects of the Great Circus Parade. As I keep saying over and over again, how they kept changing the parade every year and making it fresh. I mean, I look at some of the early parades and in one of the early parades, they came every year, Baraboo High School Marching Band. And for the first couple of years, they're in their standard marching band, go to the football game uniforms. Then they come back as a clown band where the entire band is dressed in matching clown outfits. And it's the becomes the Baraboo Marching Clown Band. <laughs> that is just fun yes. to look at. <laughs> That is just fun to look at. Yes, marching bands are wonderful things, but a band of marching clowns I mean, with the red noses and, and you know, the whole thing. I mean, It that, gives joy. Yeah, it's happy making. It was those type of things that I, I wished we could have maybe gone into a little bit because I would, I would like, like to know what was the story behind that? Because I'm sure there is one that somebody decided, hey, you know, what if we dress? You know, you can see, you can imagine, you know, the committee means, well, you know, what happens if we dress one of the bands as clown? That band from Baraboo, we can send it, dress them as clowns. I mean, and that's just the kind of fun stuff. You know, in my career, I'm a behind-the-scenes guy, and that's the kind of thing that I like to know about is what, is, what are the thought processes in creating a spectacle like this? I mean, we get to see it, and there were many pieces on wagon restoration that did not make it into the show. I, I mean, I wanted all of my people in the show. I wanted every craftsman in there because these are people – they work with their hands and they work with their minds and they create things and and recreate things. and recreate things because some of these wagons are just were just in deplorable shape when we got them. The newest bandwagon in the Great Circus Parade was built in 1972 for what it was at that time, the Schlitz Great Circus Parade, and it was the Schlitz Bandwagon, an enormous thing, and it was designed by our Milwaukee architect H. Russell Zimmerman. Every other wagon before that was at least 40 years old by that time, and many more older. And we had new wagons appearing that had been restored up, right up until the end. I mean, because the search continued, and I've I'm assuming still continues by Circus World Museum to find this stuff. Sure, to, to find put them on anything, display. Any, find, find anything that can be rescued. Unfortunately, we have just one very short interview with Ma the late Mamie Ward, who was the uh, Circus World Museum costume designer. And then... Um, I loved her personality. You get to see her in Remembering the Great Circus Parade documentary. She's got a great personality. But isn't it like... 
your grandma designing costumes for a circus. I mean, she's so down to earth. Yeah. I mean, there are two things in life I don't do. I don't dye my hair and I don't I don't lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I like you. All <laughs> yeah. right. You know, and maybe we can hang out. You know, <laughs> and the same thing with her successor, <laughs> Peg Colburn. She was such just such a soft spoken woman who just wanted to do her job and do the best possible job that she can do. And created little masterpieces for yeah. uh, in each of those costumes and, and accessories. Who has come out of the woodwork to you since? This project began or since people have started seeing it on Milwaukee PBS? Well, the last time I was here, we had that totally unexpected woman who called in, who drove... Mary Jane from Oconomowoc. Who drove a team of horses in the parade. And, you know, when you first said we have someone who rode a horse, I was thinking she was one of the, in one of the equestrian units because that is generally where you saw the women in the parade, the rainbow equestrians uh, or one of the other equestrian units, which were, you know, almost exclusively women. When I found out she was a teamster, I was like, this is unique because there were maybe in an average parade possibly th- only three or four lady teamsters who were driving teams of horses because a you have to be strong you have to be f- b you have to be focused and she even said that once the band would start playing behind her that it was difficult to concentrate and she couldn't even think if the horses could hear her commands yeah. anymore yeah um she said the horses behaved but yeah but she she lost that communication ability that's the type of thing that i hope we find more of at this point and i think we will A, with shows like this, and B, with our own production as people watch it. On this day right now, February 29th, is our first public airing broadcast of the show. And we have a couple more scheduled before the end of the pledge drive. And I am sure it's going to become a staple in our repertoire to drag out when we need programs. Because it's so Wisconsin. It's so Milwaukee. We don't have a lot of things that we can literally call our own, which were of such national importance. I hope this brings back a lot of memories of going to this because, you know, over a period of time, you forget. And we almost now have a generation of children who have never seen anything like this. And I want parents and grandparents to share what this is. And what it was. And who knows? Get enough people with enough interest and enough public support behind them. It could happen again. I'm not making predictions, but stranger things have happened in this world. My thank you to Joe Sankey, who with Dale Palachek co-produced the new Milwaukee PBS documentary, Remembering the Great Circus Parade, that you can stream on PBS Passport. I invite you to listen to the companion podcast of multi-generational memories from my good Karma Brands teammate, Jared Yuhan, who grew up going to the parade for many years because his grandfather, instead of being the ringmaster for a circus, he was the head of communications for the Great Circus Parade every year. So his grandpa, Bob Goldstein was stationed at the reviewing stand directing the timing and traffic of all the parade participants while 
in constant touch with the true master of ceremonies behind the scenes, Ben Barkin. That fun conversation is in the What's on Tap podcast section of WTMJ.com and wherever you like to get your podcasts. If you have memories of the great circus parade that you would like to share, email me, sandy at WTMJ.com. That's S-A-N-D-Y at WTMJ.com. I'm Sandy Max. Thank you for listening. And please join me weeknights at 6 for What's on Tap on WTMJ.